Listening Dog Media. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. The Athletic. Hello and welcome to The Offside Rule. I'm Kate Borsain. Alongside me, reunited, it's everyone's favourite football broadcaster, whether that's for Sky Sports, the Premier League or many others, it's Lindsay Hooper. Hi, Linz. Hi, yeah. My uh, my feed on social media would say that I'm not everyone's favourite. But... Oh, come on. <laughs> Own it. <laughs> um, and returning uh, with us, um, gosh, it's been a while since we've spoken to her, actually, for a for another appearance on the show, it's host and broadcaster Anne-Marie Batson, who you'll no doubt know for her wonderful work with the Premier League Talk Sport uh, and in the tennis for the WTA and so much more. Um, how are you, our brilliant multifaceted broadcaster friend Anne-Marie Batson? <laughs> I'll take that all day long. Thank you very much. It's been far too long, ladies. Lovely to hear from you. Lovely to speak to you as well. Yeah, really oh, nice. Brilliant to get you on. Absolutely. And Lindsay, I noticed that you did um, a stint on Fighting Talk at the weekend. It is an ongoing discussion between us about um, about how you place. How did you do th- this week? Oh, no. Did you not hear this? So I, I came <laughs> Am I second. asking as like a subject of humiliation or no? <laughs> well, no, it's the first time in my Fighting Talk history I threw the final. I threw the Defend the Indefensible because they... They asked me to go against women's football, and I said they've they've had enough. <laughs> oh, they've had they've had the ban, and yeah, I, I just felt like it it wasn't anything that I wanted to argue against. So I threw the final. I'm sure I would have lost anyway. So um, you effectively I'm eternally the runner up. Yeah, so you effectively no platformed yourself basically cancelled yeah, yourself out. Yeah, the, the you? rules are that you're meant to whatever is said, and it's all in good jest, and and usually I don't have any issues. It was just. I don't know. It just caught me in that moment where I was like, oh, you know what? I don't really want to argue for that. It was about saying England and women's football was no good sort of thing. And I, I just I just thought I can't Honestly. go with it. I can't go with it. So it is, good it is for a prized, you. prized and rare thing to have morals in this business, mm-hmm. ladies, as we know, mm-hmm. with the vast amounts of money that swirl around. That's not money to us, by the way. That's just money in football. <laughs> oh, definitely. Uh, so not well done to us. you, Lindsay Hooper. Absolutely standing. Much respect. Uh, your much grounds. respect. 
on that one. Uh, standing at ground, well, he's not anymore. Uh, Ronald Koeman, that's the news of the last uh, the last 24 hours or so. He's been relieved of his duties. Uh, Barcelona lost 1-0 uh, away at Rio Vallecano. And um, basically, that's it for Koeman. It's uh, the side's fifth defeat in 11 games this season. I think, I think he was slightly on borrowed time. I, I would probably argue his 18 months there um, was probably a little bit longer than I thought it would be, you know. It lasted a precisely seven hours before he was linked with the Newcastle job. <laughs> Every so, Yeah. Uh, so when the news came through last night, I, I was thinking, how long is it going to take? And yeah, about an hour, two hours ago, Newcastle suggested as potential potential suitor for Ronald Koeman mm. after Barcelona exit. I wonder if Spurs will be in there as well, eh? Uh, Carabao Cup this week as well. The big news, Anne-Marie City out on penalties. Fair play to West Ham. David Moyes getting it right again this season so far. West Ham seeing off City on penalties. That was one of the big results. Huge result, huge. And I think this is really a big sign of how far West Ham have come over the last, what, 18 months, two years under David Moyes, really. I mean, I I think when West Ham fans will wake up this morning, I think there'll, there'll be a sense of disbelief because Manchester City have been the holders of that cup for such a long period of time and to beat them on penalties as well. And, and Phil Foden missed a penalty. Mark Noble scored a penalty. It was all full of drama. But uh, mm. yeah, congratulations to West Ham. Well earned and they will yeah. get their reward now. Will Perry, who's a huge Manchester City fan, I, I was out with him last night and as that news came through that they'd lost on penalties, he pointed out that they, not only Anne-Marie are obviously the holders of the competition, but they hadn't lost a game in the Carabao Cup since 2016. Yeah, exactly. This is seismic. It's absolutely seismic in the world of the League Cup because, as you rightly point out, Man City pretty much dominated it in every shape or form. So I hope that, you know, the Hammers fans are celebrating responsibility in a responsible way this morning. (laughs) Of course, of course. But yeah, great result. And you've got to give props to David Moyes, really. I think there's a little bit of vindication for him as well, what he's delivering for West Ham right now with them being in Europe and in the top half of the Premier League table. We're continuing the chat on penalties. Uh, Leicester also through to the quarterfinals of the Carabao Cup after beating Brighton 4-2 on pens after the game ended in a two-all draw. And Chelsea the same. They are through on pens as well after hosting Southampton. Southampton gave a really good account of themselves in this one. And I was at Stamford Bridge. Um, my first game back, uh, actually after the pandemic, as a fan. And, well... I don't want to brag and I don't want to call myself too far removed from the world of football fandom, but I was enjoying a little bit of chairman's hospitality (laughs) at Chelsea, (laughs) which as we know is pretty exceptional when it comes to specifically seafood. Chelsea seems to do seafood and sushi particularly well. So I just felt like... What did you go for then? Oh God, everything, Linz. They they, they basically had selections of things out for you to eat. So there there was kind of a prawn sandwich. Oh, come on, no. <laughs> um, there was a big dinner sort of going on in the dining room. Um, I wasn't quite at that level. Um, I got to sit on the outskirts and just, but but to be honest, eat the really nice picky bits. I'm much more of a picker than I am a three-course meal person. And we had little pots of um, lobster and shrimp with cucumber oh, and, um, and tomato cubes. We had sushi, just really lovely sushi. There were fresh olives. There were fresh prawns on sticks, marinated as well oh. um, I mean look I'm you know hopefully mm. not showing off too much but I thought it was a nice treat thank you to my friend Emma who sorted that for me a nice treat uh, to return back to the football in that way and, and as I said a really good good game to go to as well fair play to Southampton couldn't quite see it through 
Um, but there we go. Chelsea through, Sunderland also through as well. And Arsenal, Arsenal continue to do well, beating Leeds 2-0. Plenty to look forward to in the quarterfinals of the Carabao Cup. I think the draw takes place on Saturday, doesn't it, Linz? It does. It's on Soccer AM, that show that we used to hang around the corridors. <laughs> When we were at Sky once upon a time, watching what was going on. Do you remember that, Kate? It feels, do you know what? It feels like a different time. I mean, the whole football fan in the football shirt thing was something that that, that <sighs> we all look back on and sort of slightly, slightly shudder. I mean, it's obviously moved on since then, but there we go. So uh, let's talk about the show. Coming up, we're going to be talking about scariness. Well, this is kind of connected to Halloween. So I want scary footballers or scary stories connected to football, please. Uh, we're also going to be marking Black History Month as well celebrating some of the history uh, but also some of the significant things that are going on in the game at the moment for Black History Month but to get started let's talk about and this is typical of me isn't it Liverpool thumping Manchester United at Old Trafford on I Sunday you crowbar that one in oh yeah, yeah of course I do um, and what other footballing humiliations we can come up with Okay, so embarrassing defeats. Manchester United were thrashed 5-0 by Liverpool on Sunday. Their biggest defeat to their rivals. What were they? What were they, Kate? (laughs) What what, what word was it that I sensed you enjoyed saying there? (laughs) Thrashed. Um, Thrashed. Yes, get your chops around that one. Uh, It's a good job Hayley McQueen's not here. Let me just finish this, will you? Is that why she's not here? Is that why she isn't? Embarrassment. Embarrassment (laughs) is... Is why, luckily, Hayley was um, was thankfully able to opt out of this show. So it was United's biggest defeat to their rivals in 126 years. And predictably, it sparked loads of speculation, hasn't it, about Ole Gunnar Solskjaer's future. He's safe for now, as we understand it, until the next international break anyway. So rather than dwell too much on this, because let's be honest, not everyone's a Liverpool fan, um, let's think about other thrashings. Within the last few years, let's try and stick to this. Uh, the biggest footballing humiliations we can remember maybe we'll even take a vote on the worst at the end of our discussion. Anne-Marie, let's get started with you. Well, you said the last few years. I'm going to go back to 2011, actually, because at that time I was going out with a young man who was a massive Manchester United fan. I'm an Arsenal fan. And we decided to watch the game on the 28th of August, 2011. <laughs> <Tricky>. And... Um, <laughs> Heaviest defeat for Arsenal in 27 years. Manchester United 8, Arsenal 2. And I just remember when the goals were flying in, I had enough. And because it was such a lovely sunny day, I decided to go and sit out in the garden. And all I can remember hearing from the lounge was these cries of, yes, get in, and all these kinds of things. As hat tricks were coming left, right and centre from Ashley Young and Wayne Rooney. And then Nani, of course, and Park Ji-sun and Danny Welbeck, who, of course, came and played for Arsenal a few years later so you know so you proper kind of huffed out of that one then I did you did I did and the the uh, thrashing is what you use to describe what happened against uh, Manchester United and and Liverpool and this was certainly a thrashing and I never lived it down afterwards it was just humiliating the words that Arsene Wenger described the match afterwards Yes. Lindsay, what about you? Well, I did think twice, Kate, about going for this team, especially considering your your friend and your ties to, to Emma, who got you these tickets at Chelsea to watch Southampton. I don't think I'm going to taste the lobster because I'm going in two-footed Southampton because they did it twice. The thing is, 
if something happens once, and we're told this in life, aren't we? We get we get advice from parents and mentors and people when we're going through it. And it's like something happens and it's a mistake and you learn from it and you can learn and that's fine. But if it happens a second time, then you're the fool. And that happened with Southampton and in quick succession as well. It was only October 2019 when Leicester had put nine goals past them. Now, you might remember that game. It, it took everyone by storm and it, it storms the word as well because the weather was atrocious. You remember that rain pelting down. And I think you forgave that as a one-off because sometimes it happens. Vardy had one of those days, scored a hat-trick. Perez scored a hat-trick. Yes, they did switch off a bit. But afterwards, Haas and Hootel rallied the side together. He didn't lose his job and he actually managed to go on a little bit of a, a better run. So I don't think that one is the worst. I think the second one against Manchester United, when Manchester United beat Southampton 9-0 in February of this year, that is the one that was unacceptable. It was Jankovic had been sent off, but I think as well it was the three goals that they let in in the final six minutes, which really showed that they'd, they'd just absolutely gone. Uh, heads had gone. And that that's inexcusable when they'd had that experience in the October of 2019, they should be leaning on that and thinking, well, we're not going to let it be as humiliating as 9-0. 6-0 wouldn't have looked great. 9-0, I think that actually cements it as yeah. the worst of all the drubbings. Well, before I mention a few, can I give you a proud mum moment? Just quite by coincidence, both Anne-Marie and Lindsay, I popped down to find my son, Arthur, at the breakfast table this morning watching football on the iPad. What's that? What's that? And it happened to be Barcelona's 6-0 drubbing of PSG in the Champions League in 2017. It was, uh, it was a huge game for many, many reasons. And it was an absolute drubbing. And I just had that proud mum moment, quite by coincidence. My son is already contributing in his own way to our podcast. So thank you, Arthur, for that. Uh, another one to mention, actually, on, on uh, Wednesday night, a huge shock result in the Bundesliga. Um, Bayern Munich, you know, they fielded a strong team against Mönchengladbach, but lost 5-0. Um, what is it about that scoreline at the moment, eh? It's Bayern's worst defeat since 1978. Safe to say that Gladbach absolutely wiped the floor with them. The scoreline didn't flatter them either, actually. The home side led 1-0 after two minutes and 3-0 by the 21st minute. So there you go. It's only the second defeat for Bayern under Julian Nagelsmann. Um, and it ended a run of scoring in 85 consecutive games. So it was just a complete and utter, well, hopefully for them, a blip. Nagelsmann was actually isolating at home because he's tested positive for COVID. So Bayern's sporting director had to step up and do the interviews after the game. And he said, we're just not there. We didn't win a single tackle or challenge in the entire first half. Everything that could go wrong went wrong. We let ourselves be outplayed in every situation, a collective blackout is what he called it. So there you go. Absolutely a huge defeat for Bayern Munich. Not the only team to be humiliated 5-0 in football this week. Uh, Linz, another one from you. You may remember, Kate, when I went on a jaunt to Wembley for the semi-finals of the FA Cup in 2019. I do Don't remember really this. want to relive this one, but <laughs> uh, Wolves were winning 2-0 in that semi-final. Watford ended up beating us. Oh, it was a terrible day. And what made that even more terrible is I think when you're beaten at a semi-final stage and, you know, credit to Watford, you then think, well, OK, I can take that as long as they put a, a good show in the final. And they've got Manchester City... Um, and probably one of the worst FA Cup final defeats 
in history. 6-0 Manchester City won that one. Watford didn't give a good account of themselves. For all of us Wolves fans who are thinking, it could have been us. We'd beaten them in the league. We'd had that Traore break and we'd shown that we could get the better of Pep Guardiola. Certainly Nuno had at that time. And it was really frustrating to watch. Um, It was the first cup final for Watford since 1984. It was embarrassing. Gabriel Jesus, Sterling, both getting braces. Yeah, it's one where I just, I look back and I think, had Wolves been in that final, would we have been embarrassed as much? And we'll never know. All right, so that rounds up our trouncings. Next, let's move on to Black History Month. Well, here we are then, just at the end of October, where in the UK we mark Black History Month. It was first recognised, actually, by the US government in 1976, first celebrated in the UK in 1987. There's been a lot of chat, hasn't there, about school curriculums having overlooked the contribution of people from African and Caribbean backgrounds for centuries. So Black History Month really gives us a chance to share, celebrate and understand that contribution. And that extends to football as well. Um, Anne-Marie, I'm curious to know what Black History Month means to you. Not not everyone's a fan of it. We should we should point that out too. Yeah, and the reasons why some people are not a fan of it, Kate, is because and I'm a, a subscriber to this as well, that it's something that should be celebrated all year round, not just one month. I think on the one hand I can see why it's good to have a, a focus on it for a number of days. You get a um, a lot of companies and organizations getting involved celebrating the black experience, the black past, the black future. But then there is a feeling within the community that should be done 365 days of the year. And, you know, it is we are part of society. We have a role to play within society. We have a past which we need to talk more about our role within the UK. You know, when I was at school, you talked about the curriculum. You know, I learned at school about the Tudors and about Victorians and Edwardians. What I didn't learn about was black Victorians. I didn't learn about Mm. black Tudors. Mm. I didn't learn about black Georgians. I didn't learn about... The slave trade, we learn a lot about what happened in the states of the slave trade there, but not necessarily here. And I think that really came to the forefront last year of 2020, particularly you saw the protests around George Floyd's murder and so on and so forth. So I am somebody who takes part in Black History Month, but I'd also like to see it celebrated the whole year round because the black experience is brilliant. It's mm, fantastic. Yeah. There's it's energy. also 365 days a year, the black experience. You don't just exist yes. for a month, do you as well? No. <laughs> Although uh, what I would say about it, Anne-Marie, is mm. because I, I completely agree with you and it should be, and, and actually I've been filming features for the Premier League um, about different um, figures in history that, that have actually, without even them knowing it, they've changed attitudes. I did a sit down with Luther Blissett who I'm sure you know very well. And, yeah, I do. Um, did did a, a, an interview as well with Sean Campbell around Arthur Wharton, who was the very first professional black footballer. And there's a statue at St George's Park. And I was saying, you know what? We should be doing features like this all the time. What I would say is it does focus things. It's the same with International Women's Day. Um, there are many other examples as well that... I think when when you have underrepresentation, if you just left it now and you didn't say, you know what, in October again, it will be Black History Month next year or in February in the States, then it would get forgotten. It would, I, I feel like it would disappear and be ignored more. So although I agree that I think sometimes, you know, we have these occasions and, and you think, well, why isn't it happening every single week? 
at the same time, I think if it didn't happen, it wouldn't focus people's minds together and, and we might fall into lazy habits that we had before. So yeah, it's true. there is that to think about. Yeah, and I, I accept that and I, and I understand that as well. That's why I, it's a tough one for me because I can I like the fact we have Black History Month. I like the fact that we have International Women's Day. I just think also it's things that we should celebrate all year round yeah. as well. But you and are right. I take that point. Sorry, Kate. I take that point about focus. It does. Yeah. It does. You are more centred on the points um, around certain things that happened within black history um, and things that are learning. You know, my nephew is, is nine years old. He's just had his multicultural week. And as part of that, I went into his primary school because they wanted me to come in and talk about my job as a sports broadcaster oh, nice. and the challenges that I faced oh, as a woman and yeah. as a black woman as yeah. well. The deputy head teacher was very keen that I talked about those two things. And for him, he's learning about, you know, my job within football and, and what it's like as a black woman working in football and as a woman as well. So, yeah, I, I take that point on board. Have you seen... Since the murder of George Floyd, I think I think we're definitely having more conversations about it. There has been a huge shift in awareness, but I guess what I'm really interested in is change, institutional change. And so, Anne-Marie, it's worth, worth asking you from your perspective. You are going to be much better informed than Lindsay or I. Has there been a change? Has there been a been a significant change really in football, either either from the media side or just sort of generally? I think there's been a significant change on both. And I think within society itself, particularly last year after the murder of George Floyd, there was a lot of energy and a lot of desire to see change. And I think one of the things that's come from that is the push to have a more broader and diverse curriculum when it comes to history within school I talked about that point earlier about what I learned in school and it was only when I got older and wiser shall we say that I learned about the roles that black people have played in society um, and I'm very passionate about having a more broad and diverse curriculum within schools that is something that I'm, I'm really wanting to work a lot more on I think also black writers are more prominent now than they ever have yeah. been, than they ever have been, which is absolutely fantastic as well. I think it's focused minds, that word Lindsay used before, focus, very much so about putting spotlights onto certain things about policies within this country, within the justice system within this country. Mm. We've seen big changes in places that have slave trade connections, particularly, for example, in Bristol. Um, we've seen places that have, have names changed. I know there's been a discussion about what to do about that, but at least we're having that discussion and it means having uncomfortable conversations at times. What about in media for you? Sorry to um, interrupt, but I guess I'm you know, keen to kind of draw on your own personal experience here. And, and please be frank with us as well, because one of my main concerns is there's an awful lot of chat, but actually has that has that been sustainable have you seen a sustainable difference when i made the switch kate to come into this industry i was warned quite heavily beforehand about be aware of two things be aware that you're a woman and be aware that you're a, a black woman so i went into this very much on a guarded front and then over the last few years or so it's just been really heartening to see that word focus on certain things that have happened in the sports industry and having those difficult and uncomfortable conversations. For example, the lack of black coaches within the game. You're seeing a number of black players and um, mixed ethnic players now within the Premier League, um, across the football pyramid, as well as the national team. But we're not seeing that reflected behind the boardrooms and in the coaching. 
And that is something we really need to harness our energy on for sure. And that's across the board, isn't it? Anne-Marie, like you've talked about football there and the lack of black coaches. I mean, it's because two of the most inspirational black footballers, I think, over recent years have been Raheem Sterling and Marcus Rashford for for tackling issues. And and I, I genuinely think that they have made change happen, both of them. But then you look at their bosses and you look at the higher figures in, within football and there still aren't enough. And I I don't know whether you agree. And this is this is obviously something that I'm taking from from my position and and looking but sometimes I feel like the visible positions are getting filled but it's the non-visible ones that that aren't and um I feel like until that happens until the decision makers and the very the people at the very very top until that changes it can't really flow through the whole system but I mean maybe no that's that's exactly it you've nailed it on the head really to be honest Linz that's exactly it it is those non-visible I don't want to say invisible but non-visible positions that you don't see the gatekeepers I think and it's great that you know sport football in particular can empower change we've seen the fantastic work that the likes of Raheem Sterling have done and Marcus Rashford but it's also the power sitting at that table as well the decision makers and that I think Mm. that's going to be the long game but football to its credit it has a lot wrong with it but to its credit it has opened the doors to people and it has started to welcome new ideas and new perspectives as well you just got to keep that energy going not just once a month you have to keep the conversations going keep it going all the time yeah and if we talk about black coaches we've been having that conversation for years and years haven't we really Mm -hmm. that is that is an oft-trodden path and I'm not sure that there's enough that we can see yet if there is change afoot there's not enough that we can see yet to kind of prove that point and it's not um, just that area i mean referees we don't have enough yes. officials referees yeah oh and, and you look at the women's game we don't have it um the pathway clearly isn't working to for instance yeah. the lionesses is it at the minute yeah and a, a plug for the athletic women's football podcast this week we spoke to hope powell um, anita asante and kerry davis as well basically about how the england pathway is going wrong for ethnically diverse players and actually how there are less, for example, black players in the England women's team now than there have been in previous years. So there's there were some, you know, r- really good thoughts from Hope Powell, particularly in Anita Asante, about where that where mm. that pathway is going wrong and why. So do check it out, the Athletic Women's Football Podcast. Um, Anne-Marie, what about your inspiration in football or in sport? Who do you talk to when you need someone to lend an ear? My uncle and my dad, the two really. Um, my uncle, Brendan Batson, played professional football in the late 70s, early 80s, known as a three degree alongside the late Cyril Regis and, and Laurie Cunningham. And my uncle, when he retired, he worked for the PFA for a number of years, Professional Footballers Association. And I go to him to talk about the issues that are off the pitch, uh, which we have long discussions about. He has a he has a view and I have a view. And he's always been a source of inspiration for me for what he went through when he in his playing career. But my dad as well. Um, my dad used to coach. I used to go down and watch him play as well on a Sunday afternoon after church. Um, and mm. him, for me, has been an inspiration because he would talk about the coaching and tactics and formations and things like that. And they are still two men in my life who've been openly yeah. encouraging me to pursue what I wanted to do. In fact, all the, the gents in my family, my cousins, my uncles, have always been really positive about me working in sports. So definitely those two, the top of the tree for me, my uncle and my dad. 
where do your opinions differ to those of your uncle? Because there is a generational divide there as well. We don't, we can't always agree on everything. Are there differences between both of your opinions? (laughs) Yeah. Social media. He doesn't get it. He doesn't understand it. (laughs) And uh, particularly, you know, for what the abuse that him and Cyril and Laurie went through from the terraces has now transferred. Yes, amplified to social media. media. So we we always talk about that. And uh, we definitely have different viewpoints. He doesn't understand why people are on it and why it's needed. But then I also show the, the positivity of what the role that social media can play, the likes of how, again, Raheem Sterling and Marcus Rashford have used the power of social media to amplify their platforms and their messaging. So we, we definitely have a different point of view on that. And talking about change, sometimes you have to make that yourself, Anne-Marie. Uh, you're doing that. You've got Amber Glass Presents, which is your own media company, independent. Um, and you're female, it's black owned, and you're trying to push that forward. How is it going? It's going really well. Thanks for asking. It's uh, I haven't even scratched the surface, to be honest, Linz. I think I'm, I believe I'm on my start of my journey. But what I am doing is been able to show that I can juggle many plates in the air at the same time i'm very much into my producing i'm very much into voiceover and reporting presenting and co-commentating and commentating as well and that's what i'm trying to build my own platform for the future so i can share diverse stories and represent as well and and i'm speaking to two people on this podcast who've inspired me massively as well to go it on my own so thank you ladies no i do i do because i watch what you guys are doing and you guys inspire me as I tell you all the time anyway when I see you so uh, but yes um yeah it's going really really well and like I said there's a long way to go but I'm I'm really happy with and my journey it's so also time, isn't it, Amory? I think Lindsay will echo this as well. It's I was going to say we're not so inspirational. Trying to be at the a moment. girl boss across <laughs> across everything, um, and so we totally appreciate the yeah. uh, struggle of trying to fit everything, of trying to earn a living, of trying to amplify, of trying to represent, of trying to lend your name and your voice um, to lots of different good causes as well. And um, look, um, as long as you're busy, long may it continue. That is the best sign. Okay, well we'll wrap it up there. And next up, scary footballers. All right, so this one's been inspired by Halloween. Surprise, surprise. It's on Sunday. I hope everyone's got their trick or treat treats ready. Have you got a box of anything by your door? Oh, we've got to go and get some. We had lots of visitors last week. I have to go and get something as well, actually. I haven't sorted it out yet. Oops. No, no. I'm seriously debating about whether they would accept carrot sticks. Do you think that, you know, orange? <laughs> Some grapes. Slightly, slightly Halloween-y. <laughs> Do not go to number 31. She's only got vegetables. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, there you go. Halloween on Sunday. Um, we've already discussed some pretty scary results for some teams anyway. But producer Dougie, when he wants to hear about our scariest footballer suggestions, either people that we've worked with um, who might have been a bit scary or been a bit abrupt with us, um, or just people that you've always been afraid of. Um, Lindsay, get us started. Oh, wow. Well, straight up, it has to be a player that played for Wolves, um, who I know for a fact scared a lot of people. There are horror stories about this player. Peter Crouch said he is the only footballer he's ever been afraid of. Um And I'm saying that, and there is a serious side to this because he was also quite a dangerous player at times, but Kevin Muscat, I think anyone who knows the player Kevin Muscat or in that generation, um, 
knew about his horror tackles and the, and the way that he'd go in. And I, I can imagine that he is someone you would have nightmares about if you were playing at that time. Oh, um, Anne-Marie, who's always scared the living daylights out of you? Uh, I'm going to have to go for Roy Keane. <laughs> I'm going to have to go for Roy Keane. Even to, you know, at some point, probably in my job, I'm going to have to interview him and I'm going to yes. be incredibly yes. nervous. Yes, I, incredibly I, you know, nervous. we are experienced women of the world. Mm-hmm. We've all knocked down barriers. We're all doing impressive things. But I totally agree with you. He's one of those players. But, uh, you know, also because you can't tell whether he's joking or not. Exactly. Um, <laughs> exactly that. He is, he is one of those people who would... Who would gen? Who who I genuinely be really worried about interviewing? Um, Lindsay, do you share that, or um, are you? Well, you're probably a little bit braver than me. Um, yeah, I I suppose I I do think that sometimes people like that, though their bark is worse than their bite. But is it? Is it though? Mm. Uh, with I mean, there is that. There's all the memes, aren't there, of Roy Keane the side eye? But I don't know. There's something about Micah Richards and what he's been able to bring out in Roy Keane that's made him a little bit softer for me. So I don't think I'd be as scared. Um, but what I would say, and and I remember being very in a close vicinity to this man when he was in charge at Everton for a while, is Big Duncan Ferguson. <laughs> I if if I was training under him, I would not put a foot wrong, I tell you. I bet he gets the best training out of out of players because he he has a look that just says, Don't mess. And I think more so than Roy Keane, he does. And this is someone as well who, when, when he was, I mean, I, I shouldn't laugh, but, you know, when there were people wanting to burgle his house, he locked the burglars in, petrified them, and then they ran away. I mean, there's only certain people that can <laughs> do dunk. that. I absolutely love it. And um, Joe Jordan is another person I wouldn't mess with, uh, you know, especially this playing days. Harry Redknapp missing, has said that, yeah. Well, yeah, missing missing top, top front teeth. I mean, he... he he sort of cuts a scary figure visually as well, you know, Scottish, uh, which always adds sort of another, I think, um, quite fearsome direction to it, as we've noted with Duncan Ferguson. Um, in later years as well, do you remember he had that sort of near headbutt um, with Milan's Reno Gattuso in 2011? It was when Tottenham beat um, beat Milan in the Champions League and Gattuso was just going absolutely nuts and well I think Joe was actually probably pretty restrained on that day but that went that went absolutely bonkers that story didn't it have you heard about Everton footballer Fabian Delft's revelation on ghosts as we're going with a Halloween theme here might just finish on this one this is when he was playing for Man City it was fairly early on he was interviewed by the club's TV channel and there was a section called your comments I don't know how they arrived at this, but he basically revealed um, that he sees ghosts all the time. Uh, he said at the time, I think I've probably seen four, you know, just a casual four ghosts. Mm-hmm. Um, and he would talked about when he signed for Villa, um, he stayed in a hotel and there were lots of things moving in his room. Not sure what the club physio or the club doctor had given him, um, but yes, <laughs> apparently nothing because he was utterly convinced lots of things moving in his room. And about four months previous to him having this chat back in 2015, he said he'd seen two ghosts in his bedroom. One of them was carrying a body, he said, and it went out onto my balcony and disappeared. Good grief. <laughs> a Fabian Delph ghost I think spotter. I've seen one. Really? Yeah. Yeah, I've told you this before, and there was um, a. Le- I can even tell you how she was sat. Go on, on, the on end. elaborate. So there was there was 
in the middle of the night, I saw, and I saw her only clearly for about 60 seconds, but it was um, a young lady. She was sat on the end of my bed with her, her legs crossed and her hands on her knees and turning towards, just looking. And then I she just went. I do know this story. Yeah. Was she, was she kind of from another era? I think she had some. She she looked like she got a white sort of dress on, but I don't. I don't know. <laughs> but then she's a ghost, so of course she's got a white dress on. <laughs> Why do ghosts but, always wear white? But I remember. I do remember it so vividly. Then I don't know whether I have been prone to hallucinating. Um, <laughs> okay. Occasionally, she is a very good football reporter. No hallucinations happen. Professionally, but in, but in sleep like wise, I, I can sometimes. I thought there was someone in my room once and um, I started thumping my wardrobe because I thought there was a burglar there, but it, no. it wasn't, it wasn't uh, there wasn't anyone there. Anne-Marie, so, any, any, any ghostly confessions from you? No, none at all. None thing in that nature. I don't really believe in ghosts, I've got to be honest. <laughs> yes. No. Most people don't, although Lindsay clearly <laughs> does. does, yeah. Well, actually, gonna... some, some members of my family, at the, one of my aunts and uncles' house is so, so old. And my my uncle, who would never believe in those sorts of things, and he still doesn't say it's a ghost, but he just says strange things happen sometimes in the house. Mm. And for him to say that, makes me think oh okay maybe because <laughs> i don't think he'd even admit it but he just says some strange things happen sometimes yes mm. candidly there you go i'm going to put you and fabian delf in a ghost shaped box together lindsay hooper next up let's take in some any other business All right, so this section, as you know, Anne-Marie, is all about finding some of the smaller, perhaps under-the-radar stories of the week in football. Who wants to get us kicked off? Lindsay? Well, in a week where we've spoken to Anne-Marie about Black History Month and change and things that we want to see happen, um, I think it's quite fitting that this week as well we've had a huge statement made by Josh Cavallo, who plays for Adelaide United, who's uh, currently playing um, football and has come out as gay, which is a world first. We've had um, officials that have come out and we've had players, some players after they've retired that have come out, but this is someone who's playing right now. And I think... It's it's just so essential that we get people who are able to come forward and speak. It's brave. It's courageous. I think one of the things that I would like to see is a collective when it comes to to gay footballers and being able to come together and, and make a statement. Because I think certainly in the Premier League or in bigger leagues around the world, you're not going to have someone who wants to be, and, I, and I'm going to inverted commas, the poster boy for it, right? Yes, um, yeah. Well, you know, Rio Ferdinand said a little while ago, didn't he, that, that, that actually a Premier League footballer had spoken to him and said he wanted to come out. Um, but he was advised against doing it by his lawyer. Yeah, yeah. Because so there's, there's but if you had a collective, if you had, instead of focusing on one person, or the press would were to do that, if you had ten that all or or who, who were able to do it together, ten players identifying themselves to each other, wouldn't? Well, it? they all and know I already. Know whether... I mean, let's they, let they... let's not kid ourselves that in the game at the moment that people in those dressing rooms don't know about each other of course they do mm, of course yeah, they agreed. do it's been happening for years it's, it is like a a kept secret but it i don't 
And that's because it's not other people's story to tell, is it? And you can't go saying, oh, well, I know that they were when I was playing. I, I'm sure that that is the case right now in dressing rooms. You just look at percentages. There, yeah, are, there are so many. If it's, if it's yes, yes. Uh, you, you know, if you, if, you, if you look at the statistics, yes, there has to be, um, you, you know, a a you know really decent amount of gay footballers out there in the in the men's game but if it's so common knowledge in clubs you know why on earth hasn't a newspaper got hold of the story and and pressurized a player to come well, out they have or tried do we I have rem- to credit i mean i remember a story running um where about arsenal um and, and a story ran and it was saying that there there was a first team player and and I ended up having to do with some interviews at that time and, and people were on guard because they didn't want it being asked about. And I mean, I hadn't even read the story, but it came to my attention afterwards. I, there have been times when people have tried. Um, and But like I say, it's not up to... I think what they recognise is that this is someone's... Is it's not up to newspapers yeah. to expose. No, it's no, someone's no. Yeah, own yeah, personal yeah, yeah. journey, isn't it? It's up to them to decide when when, and if they want to talk about it. What what we can't... That, that we can do nothing about, but what we can address is the toxicity of what is perceived to be a very macho male football world whereby they might not feel comfortable enough now you can address that and making it more comfortable but it's still up to the individual ultimately if they want to you think josh has done that do you think that first to show that that first step can be done on your own terms in for the football world in the men's football world anyway yeah and and coming from adelaide united i mean it's had a it's had a huge hit um, in terms of, I think, Gerald Piquet had messaged on social media afterwards, people like Antoine Griezmann in full of support, and you'll have big names that will attach to it. But ultimately, I think it's the start, but being Adelaide United and being over in Australia, if this was a La Liga player, a Premier League player, someone in Bundesliga of, of high... I, I mean, I'm talking maybe, you know, a Bayern player or a Borussia Dortmund player, but someone high enough profile um I, I i don't think that we're there yet and but it's great that that we've got a courageous brave young man who's who's been able to say and get people talking i, I still don't know whether we're any closer to getting that that really high profile player keeping on theme of inclusion actually there was a tweet that went out this week from at there's your dc a chap called dave who's talking about taking his autistic son to his first football game, which was going to be the Carabao Cup between Arsenal and Leeds. His young son was really excited about it, looking forward to it. The dad was a little bit worried about how his son would cope with the noise and the hustle and the bustle and did okay with it until about half time where his son was starting to struggle a little bit. So as they were making their way out of the stadium, they bumped into a steward who asked them where they were going. Um, and the dad explained, Dave explained, and this woman steward said, well, actually, give me a second. She then directed them to the Arsenal sensory room to watch the second half. And the dad wasn't aware that Arsenal at the yeah, Emirates had amazing. this sensory room, which I think is fantastic. And Ian McCourt, who is a content producer and podcast host, put out a tweet. He retweeted this story and asked the question, how many clubs out there do have sensory rooms? And a lot of people got involved in the discussion that there are a few sensory rooms in the Premier League and in the Championship now. Not as many as people would want, but it's been a start. And I think that's fantastic because we always talk about how the game is open to everybody, regardless 
regardless of who you are, your sexual orientation, your gender, so on and so forth. So I think this is great and uh, it got a lot of praise, but it's good to know that there are other clubs out there that have sensory rooms to allow those who are on the spectrum to enjoy the game that we love. Two very important stories there. I'm going to lower the tone, which isn't like me, is it? Um, With a quick uh moment in football. A quick what moment? Uh moment uh. in football. And you'll understand why when I tell you what's happened. Paul Scholes' daughter, she plays netball, plays in the Vitality Netball Super League. Um, she's actually left Manchester Thunder. She's joined London Pulse. So she's, you know, a decent netball player. Um, and of course, netballers are on their feet a lot, as are footballers. Their soles of their feet, toes, toenails, etc., must take a bit of a bashing. Um, no problem, because if your dad is Paul Scholes, he'll give you a foot rub and then he might appear to chew your toenails what? as well so oh, no, uh, up on instagram uh, alicia really uh uploaded a video to her followers and she captioned it true love and it basically looks like so you can see him giving her a foot rub and then he's it looks like he's nibbling on her big toe it's the worst honestly i saw this video oh. and i i yeah I could, yeah. <laughs> yes. Oh, what are you doing, Paul Scholes? As well. Yeah. No, I know. Uh, apologies to everyone who's listening this, listening to this whilst eating or drinking something. Uh, but there you go. Maybe there's a whole new career as a podiatrist there oh. for Paul Scholes, <laughs> oh. if he wants one. <laughs> Who needs those little fishes to kind of chew the bits off your feet when you go to those, uh, to those, whatever they're called, fishy nail parlours? Uh, just get. Paul Skulls on the case instead. He'd have a big job on his hands, though, to do all those feet, wouldn't he? Maybe. Yeah. Oh, um, can I just finish off on a, on a football note as well um, with the five substitutions um, yes. possibly happening? So Martin Ziegler for The Times um, actually mentioned this, that it, it looks like it's set to become a permanent fixture. Uh, it's been proposed at the International FA Board panel, um, strongly supported, and it's going to put renewed pressure on the Premier League to follow the rest of football from next season to have five subs. So I'm just letting everybody know that that could be a thing, a permanent yeah. fixture. Yeah, what was brought in during the pandemic uh, could be set to be made permanent. Interesting stuff. All right, ladies, I think we will wrap it up there. Um, thank you so much uh, to our listeners for feedback on the show. Keep it coming in, please, at Offside Rule Pod to comment on any of the topics. Maybe you've got your own scary footballers you'd like to let us know. So at Offside Rule Pod on Twitter and on Instagram. We've also got a website as well, offsiderulepodcast.com, where you can check out um, fresh content, uh, lots of stuff on the women's game and the men's game there for you to get your chops around. So so uh, plenty to digest. Um, what are you up to at the weekend, Amory? Have you got a mix of tennis and football ahead? It's football this weekend. I'm off to Manchester because Chelsea are playing Manchester City women away at the semi-final FA Cup on Sunday. So that's where I'm heading off to this weekend. Oh, I wonder how many uh, injuries Man City are going to still have. Um, quite a few, I think. A bit of a task for them. Uh, we'll be reviewing that on the women's, the Athletic Women's Football podcast, by the way, for any women's football fans out there. Linz, where are you off to next? I've got a whole weekend of trying to fit in two of, potentially for me, most of awkward clubs to get to in the country number one being Swansea for so so for soccer Saturday I'm going down there to do that their match in the championship against Peterborough and then on Sunday Norwich against Leeds so I'm doing it oh all one bam so traveling in one weekend. the breadth 
the uh, breadth of the UK there, pretty much, aren't you? Yeah, probably like actually the width, isn't it? Probably the width of the UK. Width and breadth. I'm getting them confused, yeah. aren't I? Yeah. A lot of miles in the car. Take care with that dodgy back, Lindsay Hooper, please. One of the perils of being uh, such an out and about reporter. Well, perhaps Paul Scholes can be drafted in, Lindsay, I'm... if you can do wonderful things <laughs> oh. with toes. Oh. <laughs> perhaps, perhaps he could have a nibble at your back for you. Um, <laughs> what a delightful thought to finish on. Uh, thank you, everyone, for listening. Um, don't forget to check us out on the socials. Uh, Lindsay, I'll see you next week. Anne-Marie, I'll catch up with you very soon. Take care. You've been listening to The Offside Rule, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Keep up to date with everything Offside at offsiderulepodcast.com and by following at Offside Rule Pod on Twitter and Insta. Check out all of The Athletic's football podcasts on Apple, Spotify and all the usual places or listen ad-free on The Athletic app. The Offside Rule is a Muddy Knees Media production. The Athletic. Sports Social Podcast Network. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.